So I'm a little sad this morning because we have come to the end um, of our, our series on Psalms. So today is the last message from the book of Psalms. And uh, I don't know about you, we've been busy with it for three months, but I feel like we've just touched the surface uh, of this amazing book. And so undoubtedly in the future, we will come back to it. But to end the series, I want to use one of David's psalms. And uh, I'm hoping that we are going to be able to take away some life lessons from this particular psalm. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Psalm 63. And at Freedom, we want to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so it's my privilege this morning to read this psalm to you. Don't get nervous. It's not Psalm 119 that has 176 verses. It is Psalm 63 that has 11 verses. And they will be on the screen if you don't have your your Bible with you. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods." With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So David is in the wilderness at the time of the psalm. David is also king. We read about that uh, in verse 11. So this psalm is a little bit different to the ones that he wrote when he was running from Saul. Um, It is likely when this psalm was written that David was running from his son Absalom. And we can't go into a lot of detail this morning on the backstory to that, but enough to say that there was conflict and sin in David's family that wasn't handled well. And in 2 Samuel, we read that his son Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom was handsome. He is described as the most handsome man in all Israel, that he was flawless from head to foot. So this was the real deal, flawless hunk. Uh, he wasn't photoshopped like those guys on the, on the cover of men's health magazines. He was flawless. Pity he had an ugly heart. Just saying, girls don't like flawless men with ugly hearts. Anyway, let me not um, digress. So 
Absalom won the loyalty and the allegiance of the people. He built up a big following and military power, and he rebelled against his own father, and he declared himself king. David was warned that this kind of thing would happen. After his adultery with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan said to him that there will always be warfare and evil against him from within his own household. You can read the story in 2 Samuel 12. So this is the context of this psalm. David has run into the wilderness with some of his household and his officials, and he has run from his own son who wants to destroy him. As we've said, the wilderness was familiar to David. He ran from Saul into the wilderness. Some scholars say that that David spent about eight years running from Saul, all in all. But wilderness times are significant in the Bible. Uh, The wilderness or the desert is mentioned about 300 times in the Bible. And I'm not sure what you think of when you think of the wilderness. Maybe you think of the Namib or the Kalahari or the Karoo. Some of you are sitting there saying, no, but wilderness is a, it's a little town in the Cape. It's on the garden route. And boy, don't we wish we could escape there and take long walks on the beach and in the forest. But the wilderness is not just a physical place. The wilderness is symbolic. It represents difficult times in our lives. Hard times, harsh times, lonely times, uncomfortable times even dangerous times. And another word for wilderness is wasteland. Wilderness times can be times of intense temptation where your character and your integrity is tested. Maybe at work, you're going through a difficult time financially and you're saying, I'm just going to borrow some money from the company without anyone knowing because I intend to pay every cent back. Maybe in that hotel room, far away from home, maybe in another country, no one will know what you do. Maybe you used to be radical, but now you're complacent. Maybe you used to say no, and now you find yourself saying yes. And maybe you've even crossed the line into sin, and you find yourself in a wilderness, and you're wondering, how did I get you? How did I get you? Wilderness times can also be in-between times, You find yourself in no man's land. It's vast. It's open. There's no real sense of of direction. Everything around you looks the same. Maybe at the end of this year, you're finishing school, and you're wondering, what am I going to do? Am I going to study? Am I going to take a gap year? Maybe you're finishing your degree at varsity, and you're thinking, do I go overseas? Do I stay here? Do I find a job, start at the bottom, work myself up, start my, my own thing? Maybe you've been in that same job for years and years and years, and you're thinking, is this it? Isn't there more to it than this? Maybe you're single, and you really want to be married, and you feel like you've been in a dry place for a really long time, and it feels like a wasteland to you. Wilderness times can also be times of crisis or trauma. Maybe you have lost a child, or a life partner, or someone close to you. Maybe you've been in an accident, you've been hijacked, your house has been broken into. Maybe you've been retrenched or dismissed. Maybe you're in over your head in debt. 
Maybe you've even been declared bankrupt. These are wilderness times. Wilderness times can also be times of illness, either physical illness or psychological illness. Maybe your child is terminally ill. Maybe you have cancer or an autoimmune disease or you've broken or snapped or have had to have something in your body replaced. We have a friend, she broke both her arms at the same time and she could do nothing for herself. And she said, Michelle, it was one of the most difficult times I have ever been through in my life because I could do nothing for myself. I had to rely on people around me. Wilderness times. Maybe you are in the grips of depression or anxiety. Maybe you have some insecurities that you thought you had dealt with, but they are now being triggered and it's affecting your relationships and your soul is in turmoil. Maybe you're in relational conflict with that friend or that family member or that child or that colleague. Maybe it's your boss and you feel like you're in a kind of relational wilderness. Maybe you've been through a breakup recently, a divorce. Maybe you're in a marriage, but it's dry and it's scorching and it feels unbearable. Maybe you've isolated yourself. Maybe life is too tough and people are too complicated and you've had enough. And so you're in this self-imposed wilderness. Maybe you can relate to one or two of these. Maybe more than one or two. But it's not all doom and gloom. Because wilderness times are profound. And they are very key times in the Bible. And they are not easy. But they are influential. And they can be rich, rich seasons in our lives. And there's this really strange but true thing. God is there. He shows up powerfully in wilderness times. And maybe you already know this. You're sitting there and you say, Michelle, it's because of a wilderness time that I came to know God. Maybe it was because of a wilderness time that your relationship with God grew so much deeper. And so I want us to have a look at... uh, Some stories from scripture this morning about some wilderness times. And our number one wilderness wanderer has to go to Moses. Moses is no stranger to the wilderness. He grew up in an Egyptian palace, but when he's about 40 years old, he sees an Egyptian master beating his Hebrew slave, and he murders this Egyptian. And he runs into the wilderness as a fugitive. And so effectively, this is Moses' first wilderness experience where he spends the next 40 years of his life. He spends it in the wilderness. He becomes a shepherd. He gets married. He has children. So he has a a fruitful time in the wilderness. And then you'll remember he has that encounter with God and the burning bush. And God commissions him to free the Israelites. In Numbers 12, verse 3, Moses is described as a humble man. Now Moses was a very humble man. He was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. God was at work in Moses' wilderness times, and God did a deep work in Moses during that wilderness time. And there are so many wilderness stories, as I've said, in the Bible. And I really encourage you to do a study on wilderness times in the Bible. It will, it will really encourage you. 
but we've only got time to share three today. And so our number two wilderness story is about the prophet Elijah. At the time of the story, the Israelite people were under the rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And as a people, they were worshiping idols. And in particular, the false god Baal. And Elijah was sent to them to warn them and to point them back to the one and only true God. And so there is this showdown on Mount Carmel where fire comes down from heaven and God won and Baal lost and all the prophets of Baal were killed. Queen Jezebel is very angry. She threatens Elijah and he runs into the wilderness to escape. What happens to Elijah in this wilderness place? And I want us to read the story together. If your Bible is still open in Psalms, you can page a few books back to the book of 1 Kings. And we will be reading from 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever been in that place? I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah was touched by an angel in his wilderness time. He was strengthened, he was ministered to, and he was ultimately led to a cave where he would have an amazing encounter with God who would instruct him on where to go next and what to do. And maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, well, I'm in a wilderness and there's no angel baking me bread. And that is how we feel. And there's no angel leading me to mountains and wonderful encounters with God. But I wonder if we don't miss it sometimes. What about those people around you? That person who says sincerely to you, are you okay? Who says to you, how can I help? Who says, I'm praying for you? Who gives you a hug? Who takes you for a coffee? Who sits and listens to your story? For me, this is what an angel looks like. When at half past one in the morning, I can't sleep because I'm so anxious. And my husband holds me and he prays for me. Do we miss those times where an angel is touching us? God is ministering to us through people. And are we inviting them in and are we reaching out? So in these two Old Testament stories, we see Moses goes to the wilderness because of what he did but he encounters God. 
Then we see Elijah goes into the wilderness because of something someone else is threatening to do, but he encounters God. And there are New Testament stories, wilderness stories as well. In Luke 3 verse 2, it says that the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. So John the Baptist had a wilderness story, which we won't go into today, but there is a much more significant wilderness story that I want to focus on, and I think you might know which one it is. It's the wilderness story of Jesus. And in Luke 4, verse 1, we read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. You can be full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit, into a wilderness time. The important thing is the Holy Spirit led him, and the devil did the tempting. It's important that we don't get that confused. Just before this wilderness experience that Jesus went into, he was baptized. And so his identity and calling were confirmed. Then he was led into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. He overcame Angels came and ministered to him, which is beautiful. God the Father sends angels to minister to his son. And this is how Jesus leaves the wilderness. Let's read about it in Luke 4.14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Jesus left the wilderness time in the power of the Spirit for his mission, for his ministry, and for his calling. Friends, wilderness times can be profound. They can be powerful, and they can be very purposeful in our lives. And I guess you're sitting here this morning, and you're in one of three places. You are either currently in a wilderness, or you've just come out of a wilderness, or, drumroll, a wilderness awaits. And and wildernesses cannot be avoided. They are integral to our Christian walk. But I want to I take a page out of David's book today for wilderness times. Because I believe that we can learn to be content regardless of what state we are in and regardless of what place we find ourselves in. Like the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians 4 verse 12, I've learned to be content. And in order to do that, we are going to have to make some adjustments. We are going to have to adapt. And I want to use that word adapt as an acronym and just unpack it a little bit. And hopefully this is going to be useful to us in wilderness times. And so the first letter of the word adapt is A, and that stands for acknowledge him, acknowledge God. What are David's first words in this psalm? You, God, are my God. So not only is David acknowledging God in this wilderness place he finds himself in, but he's saying, you are my God. So this is not a distant, disinterested God. This is a personal and loving God. What about you? Is God your God? Or is he the God of your parents? of your friends, of your spouse? Can you say, oh God, my God? Verse 6, David says, I remember you. I think about you. He's acknowledging God 
in his wilderness time. We have this beautiful picture of the Trinity in the wilderness. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. Jesus, the Son, knows the wilderness. He knows what the wilderness is like. And you know what? He's praying for us. He's praying on our behalf. And then we have the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness and comforts us. Friends, we're not alone. We're not alone in the wilderness. I came across a song recently by the Canadian singer-songwriter Avril Lavigne. And if you were here early enough, you saw the countdown And that is her song called Head Above Water. Now, before you get upset with me, I know that Avril Lavigne is not the poster child for Christian living. I get that. I get that. But I think that makes the story more powerful because she wrote this song during her illness. She was diagnosed with Lyme disease, which is uh, a disease you get from from an infected tick. And she was bedridden for five months and she felt like she was dying. And in this song, if you listen to the words, she specifically acknowledges God. And she expresses how much she needs him to help her. And how she wants to meet him in her time of need. I don't know where Avril Levine stands in her relationship with God. But she had the wisdom to acknowledge God in her wilderness. How much more should we acknowledge God in our wilderness times if we say we are his devoted followers? Friends, may we acknowledge God in our wilderness times. The second letter in the word adapt is D for delight, delight in him. Now, I know delight is not a word we use often, except if you're talking about Turkish delight. Um, I was going to give you all a little piece of Turkish delight, sort of. But yeah, yeah, good idea. Uh, But every time you eat Turkish delight, think of delighting in him. How about that? Uh, David delights in the Lord. We We read about it in Psalm 37. And this word delight means to find our enjoyment in, in God or to take our greatest pleasure in him. In verse 1, David says that he earnestly seeks God and his whole being longs for God. David's desire in a dry and thirsty land is for God. In verse 5, he says, God can fully satisfy him as the richest foods satisfy the body. In dry and weary wilderness times, may we find joy and satisfaction in God because only he can truly satisfy us. We can try other things, we can run to other things, but they will not satisfy us. May we make him a priority in our wilderness times and run to him instead of from him. So acknowledge him, delight in him, and then the second A in the word adapt is abide in him. And this word abide is such a rich word, but it really means to hang with him, to hang out with him. It means to stay with him, to live with him, to remain in him, to persist, and to hold on to him. Verse 7, David says, I sing to you in the shadow of your wings. David is abiding in God, and he's singing. In verse 8, he says, I cling to you. That's abiding. Wilderness times are waiting times. And are we going to wait passively or are we going to wait actively? Are we going to spend the time lingering 
in God's presence, dwelling with him. Daryl spoke to us a few weeks ago, asking us, how is your dwelling going? When I was going through a particularly difficult wilderness time, we have a, a wing-back chair in our study. And most mornings, I would go and I would sit in that wing-back wing chair. I'd, I'd curl up in it. And I would picture myself in the arms of Jesus with my head on his chest. And some days, I couldn't say anything. I would just sit there in silence. Other days, I would just say, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me. And other days, yeah, I was just, I was silent. And those times were very painful. There were a lot of intense emotions. There was shame. There was anguish, hurt, distress. But if I look back on them now, those were sweet, sweet times of abiding in him and clinging to Jesus. And it was in those days that I came to know in the depth of my soul that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, this I know. So my wilderness tears were not wasted. And sometimes you have profound revelations in wilderness times that will not come any other way. So may we abide in him. And then the P in, in the word adapt stands for prayer and praise. And if David has taught us anything, has he not taught us this? You know, these are two key themes in David's Psalms. He cries out to God. He talks to God. That is essentially what prayer is. I'd like to focus more on the praise side of it. Verse 3, just in this one psalm. Verse 3, my lips will glorify you. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. Verse 7, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Verse 11, the king will rejoice in you. Friends, worship is a weapon in the wilderness. Worship is a weapon in the wilderness. Worship is warfare. Worship brings perspective that God is worthy to be praised. We sang that song this morning, that last song, and it's actually called Desert Song. And it says, all of my life, in every season, you are still God. And I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. There are desert songs. When you don't know what to pray and when you don't know what to say, there are songs for that. The Psalms, the book of Psalms, is there for desert times, for wilderness times. Hymns, some of those old hymns are beautiful. The words are so, so deep and meaningful. There are hymns for wilderness times. There are spiritual songs for wilderness times. And many musicians have written songs during their own wilderness times, which have become gifts to us during our wilderness times. And they help us praise like David did. And friends, we worship where we are. We don't wait until we feel better. We don't wait until it gets better. We just come to God in our fearful, confused, down, hurt, and dazed state. And we worship right there where we are. I have a playlist on my phone called Wilderness Times. And some of those songs have become so special to me, so meaningful to me during my own wilderness times. May we in faith pray and praise him in our wilderness times. And then the last one, which is T, 
stands for trust. Trust him. Verse 7, David says, you are my help. And in verse 8, he says, your right hand upholds me. David trusts God to deal fairly with his enemies. He, know what, he knows what fate awaits his enemies, those who want to kill him, because he knows the God who fights for him. And David is encouraging us to park our panic in wilderness times and to actively trust God. And, and I heard just this last week preachers say, when our view of God is big and our view of our circumstances is small, it is easy to trust God. But when our view of our circumstances is big and our view of our God is small, we will battle to trust him. And God doesn't give us a blueprint, does he? Because he values trust. And in order to trust, we have to let go. And your wilderness time will feel longer than what you think is necessary. It will feel heavier than what you think you can bear. Many of David's psalms start out, How long, O Lord, how long? But he's also shown us, David, in wilderness times that we can be honest with God. And we can say, God, I'm confused. I'm hurting. This is uncomfortable. It's scary. I feel like I have no control, like I'm powerless, but I need you. And I know you will work it out for my good. And it may not look like I think it should, but you can use anything, even what the devil intended for my harm and for my destruction. The wilderness feels like a wasteland, but it is not wasted. You know, our view as Christians is sometimes, well, real Christians shouldn't find themselves in dry and weary lands. Or if I serve God, it must go well with me. And that's not helpful because the best of saints will sometimes find themselves in dry and weary lands. And we need to adapt in the wilderness. Acknowledge him, delight in him, abide in him, pray to him and praise him, and most of all, trust him. In Jeremiah 31 verse 2, it says that the Israelites found grace in the wilderness. They found grace in the wilderness. The story of Joseph, after everything he went through, being sold into slavery by his brothers, landing up in prison for something he didn't do, he says this in Genesis 41, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And in Isaiah 41:18, God says, I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry lands springs of water. May we entrust the wildernesses of our past, of our present, and of our future to the God of the wilderness. You will find grace in your wilderness time, and God can make you fruitful in your wilderness time, and he can turn your wilderness time into an oasis. You can experience spiritually sweet times in the wilderness. Let us not waste our wilderness days and weeks and months and years. Your wilderness tears are not in vain. And it may feel like a wasteland to you, but nothing will be wasted. You are not alone, and it is not forever. And God used the wilderness experiences in the Bible profoundly, and he will use yours for your good, for the good of others, and most of all, may God get the glory in our wilderness times. Amen.